Taking it back to the late 90s, bro. I always say this, but I was 18 when that came out. 18. Hey, I like... My mute? My mute? Nah, you back, baby. You fucking you live. You're all the way live. That, that was my favorite song. The only song I could rap to. Gerardo. Yeah? Ooh. It's, it's not even Gerardo, fool. Isn't it? No. Melo Manese. Melo Manese is... Check this out, baby. It's not mentirosa, güey. Um, Rico oh, yeah, yeah. And then the dude of, ay, 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 da, da, da. Yeah, That's right that's Rico Mellow Man Ace Mellow Man Ace dog. Damn he oh. had the other one Nah he lost me there bro I just, knew, I just knew the one yeah. okay. that, 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 that whole right, song my bad, my that, that, that whole song is, is weird Cause um, it, it was like uh, Just it hit tribute to hip hop So it was like fucking House of Pain Somebody did a House of Pain lyric Somebody did a Sugar Hill Gang lyric I did the Mentirosa lyric And then Cause I had a, I had a little notebook of ¿Cuál canción más aquí, bro? It was really going to be like, uh, what is it? Lighter Shade of Brown, Kid Frost from Cypress Hill. I was like, I'm going to go with this one, Mentirosa. It just flows better. We were young and dumb, bro. Piss a lot of people off. Piss a lot of people <laughs> off. And here I am at 42, still pissing people off. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to another episode of the Emo Brown Podcast. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Grasshopper. Cannabis, marijuana, once was taboo, once was horrible. Now they're supporting pay state legislation and taxes here for the beautiful city of Chula Vista. For all your recreational and medicinal needs, reach out to the homeboys at Grasshopper. Compita Chicle, you have done it again, bro. You've done it again. What'd I do? You brought somebody awesome in, bro. I did. Man. I never would have fucking known about this person had you brought him up. Yeah. And then you gave me a book. Yeah. And then I smoked a little weed. And then I started thumbing through the stories. And I was like, yo. And then I started creeping. I told him, I think he, could, he gave me a weird look when I said I started creeping <laughs> on his Instagram. I was like, damn, this fool knows about like car washing, passing. And yes, I did. I crept. I saw. I did a little research. Good. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Barat Medina in the house. <laughs> Spring break. Oh, a ver, compita. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell a, a quick synopsis, where you're from, what you're about. And all the epic shit that you've gotten yourself into. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have enough time for the epic shit because uh, <coughs> there isn't any. Uh -oh. <laughs> so um, I'm originally from Denver, Colorado and kind of got into punk rock when mm. I was um, 12, 13 years old. That's usually the time. Right. That's usually the time we discover shit. So like my friend Jimmy Lopez had gone to see his cousins in L.A., he goes, hey, my, my cousin Abel's into like some punk rock shit. What do you think about it? Like, uh, I have a Star Wars soundtrack. <laughs> and uh, my parents listen to Jose Alfredo Jimenez. Que mas quieres, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of like my scope of, of music. You know, I listened to a little bit of, you know, FM, AM radio growing up. Uh, definitely some country music because my mom was into it. I think she was more into it to like win the prizes on, on you know, like contests. Seventh caller like gets Dolly Parton tickets today for a long... <laughs> totally, yeah. That's, I mean, that's how we got a TV. Did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't get more punk rock than winning a TV on the radio. It's like, that's how we got our TV for what? Exactly. <laughs> One of her best ones, though, is she, when the Colorado Lottery came out, mm. 
she won 1,500 tickets. And we had Damn. to go to this convenience store and scratch them off in person. Uh-huh. And so we just spent like all afternoon scratching. What'd you win? I think like $300. Hell yeah. Hey, all day for $300? <laughs> okay, you said you were 12, 13, you, you, you got into punk. What era was that? Was that mid-80s, late-80s, early-80s? Well, my friend came back with a bunch of cassette tapes. So it was stuff like, you know, The Clash, The Sex Pistols. And he goes, what do you think about this band, Black Flag? And so I was like, you know, it started to make sense when you, when you put the music on and stuff. You know, it kind of fit with a little bit of the of rage that I've had growing up. You know, kind of growing up. Teenage angst. Yeah, you know, I grew up Mexican-American. I was fat. Mm -hmm. And... uh Still kind of am. Brother, you look beautiful. Uh, look at this guy. He yeah. looks like he runs cross-country trails and shit, bro. I, I do. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, so, so I had a lot of angst, you know. I had a lot, of, a lot of aggression to get out. So listening to that music kind of like kind of fueled that and it kind of made me, inspire me to, I don't know, to want to be punk and to scream and to like f fight back against kind of, you know, people kind of poking fun at me, that sort of stuff. So... That's kind of how I got into it. So I started going to see shows and stuff. And, um, you know, first band, the biggest show I've, I saw at the time was Black Flag with, uh, with the Minutemen. And that was kind of like early 83. And after that, I just started going to as many shows as I could. Hell so, yeah. So it was, yeah. That know, must have been a crazy time for punk it, rock, man. It was because, you know, in LA, it was kind of a little more, I think... In a lot of places, it was a little more controlled because you actually had venues for it. And in Denver, you kind of like were very makeshift venues. Like I'd be going out to old slaughterhouses, this place called the Packing House, which was... Seems like the perfect venue for a fucking yeah. black flag show. <laughs> I mean, it was powered by a generator. Yeah. And so it was kind of like an art gallery by day or recording studio. Then, then in the evening, it just like became anarchy you know just bands would show up would play people drinking out in the in the dirt parking lot and people fighting and people making out that sort of stuff so it was you know proper child rearing i would guess yeah i mean it's, that's how you get to be how we are at this tender age now <laughs> when you say that you, you, your your first experience listening to punk rock music the first thing that came to my head was uh what the fuck is that movie slc punk <laughs> i remember watching slc punk with one of the with crackhead bob or whatever his name was introducing it to the dude that the became the lawyer steve and he's like hey man you want to you want to hear something new and he gives him something new and i forget what band it is and I think it was fear and his, oh, I love living in the city. And then it, he's just listening yeah. to it. And it's like, it just fucking changes his world forever. That's the way it was for me, definitely. And I can really relate to SLC Punk because yeah. a lot of, you know, bands from Denver would go play Salt Lake City and vice versa, like the Massacre guys, which had Carl and Steve-O from Descendants Hell All. Yeah. The Coming band. back with a new album. Yeah. If you're over 40 and you want to wait in line at Soma and pay $50 to go in, by all means, the Descendants and TSOL coming sometime in September. <laughs> I think August 20th. It's not even September. It's in August? Not even September, dude. Fuck, they're moving quick. Dude, they, they, I just saw like the whole lineup. Um, the Menzingers on one show. It's crazy just to see. It, I feel like the punk rock scene has always been a recycled scene. Um, it takes a 10 year, like a decade break. You know, and then all of a sudden it comes back fucking roaring hard and then it takes another break and then it comes back roaring hard. It's like, how many motherfucking roaring hards do we have now? Descendants are old school. They are, you know, punk is dead, but it has a very healthy corpse. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> that, there's no better way to put it because you feel like it's flatlining, but then you're like, what the fuck? New album? 
new art projects. All right, cool. And I'm on, I'm on board for all of it. There's certain bands that still put out uh, Patreons to, to help support whatever they're doing and new albums and like no effects. I just signed up for their fucking Patreon. And I've been, I've been a no effects fan since yes. And like I was fucking prepubescent bro. And just listening to them. And it's just weird to see a transition of that kind of band for me, you know, like hardcore, fuck everything to like kind of a little bit more drawn back and saying, fuck, fuck uh, capitalism, fuck this. And then I see them trying to jump into the capitalism. Now we're sponsored by Stone. Now we do fucking this. That. And then you kind of see them take a step back. It's just punk rock is exactly that to me. You can't really be put in a little box and say, oh, that's punk. It's like, no, if, if, if you get put in a little box, you're not punk anymore. It's like, you just, it's a free form of thinking. Well, kind of going back to SLC Punk, kind of like the last line in the movie, I said, I didn't sell it. I bought it. I bought it in. I use that shit to this day, bro. (laughs) In in a lot of ways, like, you know, punk was was a school for learning to kind of be like street smart and to kind of learning how to use the system. And instead of like, you're not really bought in, but you're kind of co-oping the Mm -hmm. system and you're kind of turning it into your own system. It's easier to fuck shit up from the inside than from the outside. Definitely. You know what I mean? I mean- that's exactly what I see going on more now than anything as it relates to Mexican and, and, and the younger generation. And specifically here, border kids, it's like, we always had that fire to do something. We just didn't know what. Ultimately, you kind of open that door and it's like, you know what? I can fuck shit up from the inside and make it my own instead of always being on the outside talking shit on it. And yeah. now it's like, I'm 42 and I feel like I'm doing that. And just like researching what you're about, I'm like, you've been doing that since fucking day one from starting a record label, from just kind of being like a scene promoter in Denver, from linking up with Jimmy Lopez and having him introduce you and opening new doors into what's out there. That's what it's about, man. Yeah, pretty much. You're, it, it's really interesting because I think the whole idea of punk is like, you just kind of figure it out if you want to do something, then you just do it and you don't ask for permission. Uh, you do a lot of trial and error and you're just kind of creating everything from scratch. And that's that's how I started the label. That's how I started promoting. There was kind of like a lull in, in, in shows coming to Denver like around 86, 87 because people were tired of dealing with the violence uh, and nobody wanted to promote shows. And there was an ad in that old fanzine, Maximum Rock and Roll, uh, for, you know, if you want to promote Dag Nasty or Seven Seconds, go ahead and Oof, get, a, get a hold okay. of me. And it was actually this guy named Randy Now. And he's kind of like a legend um, in, in New Jersey. He used to run the city gardens. He's a legend, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So he was a guy that was that was the booking agent. So I'd, I'd book bands through him. And that's how I kind of, you know, got started in in my capital of learning to lose money. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a good chapter to have in one's life, bro. <laughs> you know, that you, you just kind of like follow the, the older people like uh, Jill Razor and, and mm. Tom Headbanger in Denver. And I kind of saw what they were doing and how they kind of like would scam the, the system, scam the cops, get, get places and, you know, Join the Elks Club just so you can put just so you can shows. put on shows. Yeah, <laughs> you know you're hanging out with like these eighty year old war veterans, and <laughs> you have a mohawk, and you're like twenty. Wait a second. Like, <laughs> yeah, I want to use that bingo hall on Saturday and have you know the swans come in and just fucking destroy everything. <laughs> Man, so you were a pillar of that community. Like you, you, you pretty much got it up and continued the progress of getting it up and running and taking it through. You know. There's somebody, there's always somebody that steps up to it. Uh, You know, when, when it was, when Jill and and Headbanger 
were done with it, then, you know, Pam Puente and I kind of like started taking it on. Then my friend Sonny Kay ended up taking it on, who, you know, became um, the guru of GSL Records and, and uh, you know, his his whole thing. Yeah, so you were with the whole crew, like all the names that you're just spouting out is just like, wow, if you kind of just do a little research and backtrack, you're like, oh shit, these are like the grandfathers, the godfathers of everything that went down. So, and so with that, um, you know, I, I did my time, put out records, played in bands, that sort of stuff. Then it was time, it was time for me to move on. And I relocated to, a, to Atlanta for a number of years, but still played in bands, but not really connected to the scene like, you know, the people in my bands were. And I just always felt like I needed to document the, the whole Colorado punk scene, um, or at least the Denver, the Denver scene. And I, I kind of had this idea probably like in 1986 when I moved to Atlanta that I'm going to put together this book because there was this book called, uh, God, it was on the DC, DC scene. Um, I can't think of it right now, but I'll remember it. Um, but it was very influential because it had these amazing photographs and flyers and everything in it. And it was called Band in DC, actually. I was put out by, in DC. By, yeah, by three women in, in the DC scene. And it was just like- That DC was rough, man. It was hard as shit I, back in that era too. You guys got everything out there. Yeah. And so it was just, uh, it was so eye-opening to see a book documented that way. And uh, I, it was something that I, I knew I wanted to do. Then once I started researching, it was like, and there's not, e- there's not enough photographs and there's flyers and stuff, but everything's kind of like scattered. So it's almost, I felt like I was doing like 15 years of research and just kind of compiling and with a lot of help from, from people. Uh, it was really, in a lot of ways, I always kind of saw it as, as a community effort. And I'm the one that got to just write, write the book about it. And so I found people and interviewed them and kind of decided that instead of putting photographs in it that I should make drawings of, of people. Maybe that would capture the energy better. At least that was my interpretation of it. Cause I use kind of like some, some wild colors and a lot of outlining in my work. And so I think that works a little bit better than photographs sometimes. It makes not- it more personal. I feel like it gives it that, that touch, you know, like, Oh, Barbara was there. You know, it's not just somebody on the outskirts taking a picture. It's like, no, he was there. So he's, this is from recollection, something that he experienced. Yeah, pretty much. Like I was a lot at a lot of those shows. And so when I see like the live pictures, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sure glad somebody captured that. And now let me draw it. Random question. But how many shows do you think you've been to? I have no idea. Fuck, over under 500. In my life? Yeah. Thousands. Fuck yeah. That's awesome, man. Oh, and, and the ears, my- how was the hearing? Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. Cause every town, every city, you know, is very proud of the heritage of the roots of how the fucking punk scene started in their town. You know, I grew up in the punk scene here in San Diego, more closely here in Chula Vista and the Chula Vista punk scene was more catered to a hardcore scene. It was more of a hardcore scene here in Chula Vista and everyone was straight edge for a while. And I remember it's like, Oh, what's that all about? Cause I was really little and I was like, Oh, well, I'm not going to fucking drink anyway. I'm like 13, 14. What am I going to do? But then I started like playing in bigger bands and other bands. And I'm like, oh shit, the San Diego scene is different. Nothing like the scene you're describing, man. We were that lame era of punk rock music in the mid nineties. We were the lame era of like, everything's all poppy and, and, and melodic and oh, pinchy Phoenix TX. But in, for me being in a band when I was in my mid teens, like 16 and, and actually getting a chance to play with, cause I was telling you earlier, I got the chance to play with bands that 
I had no idea who they were at the time, but then reflecting back, I was like, damn, I got to play with these guys, you know, like a, a UK subs or subhumans or, or a gorilla biscuits and anger Samoans. Like I look back and I'm like, fuck, that was awesome. You know, I wish somebody was there above uh, uh, Rob to tell me, Hey man, soak this shit in. Cause what you're doing right now is, you know, I remember GBH, another one. It's like, these are the bands that, you know, like all of what your lame ass punk music is doing. This is kind of where the derivative of, this is the root of it. I didn't know any fucking better. It was a dumbass with blue hair playing the drums, fucking wearing cowboy boots, bro. And then it's like, you know, just, just soaking what I could in, being in love with like, damn, there's a bunch of people here to see us. Nah, bro. There's a bunch of people here to see the bands after you. Exactly. You just happen to be the band that's here. Like, <laughs> who's this fucking band? Eh, bring them in. The Heidi's? Fuck it. Bring them in. Let them play. A bunch of teenage kids, man. We weren't allowed to play in a lot of venues because we were 16, 17. In Denver, that was kind of the same way if you if you had play a bar, but- you would just have to get a uh, a letter stating what permission slip because it was for work because like people that uh, uh. that you know worked at bars as a dishwasher uh-huh. they're like sixteen had to have that same form so I had that form hell yeah and we just like photocopied it and everybody kind of signed it and you know we'd play a bar and that would be that it was only a couple of times and when I got older you obviously play a, a little bit more bars um, but like I said the, the the whole bar thing wasn't a huge part of the Denver scene. I mm. think it was more kind of like the independent, like self-promoted shows where people rent backyard halls boogies and, and halls and you know, slaughterhouses and shit like that. Yeah. That's awesome though. You know, cause yeah, I mean, sometimes I look back and like, fuck, I missed it. You know, there's a couple of areas that I really would have liked to be in. You know, I wish I was a teenager in the eighties. I wish I was a teenager in the, in the fifties. Like, I feel like if I was in that era and I had like my mentality, like, ah, I think I would, it would have been cool to just kind of like, be be somebody in that era. But in the 90s, man, I was all about fucking 90210, Blink-182 and shit like that. So I feel like I missed my calling. <laughs> oh, <love my> <laughs> no, but I think, uh, I, I think San Diego was a, was a pretty important scene for, for a lot of interesting music that was coming out. I mean, you had- bands, Interesting, perfect way to put it. You had, you know, bands like a Rocket from the Rocket Crib. from the Crib. J- Jehu mm-hmm. and, and Three Mile Pilot. You, na- you named the three bands that I was going to say to you. <laughs> That's awesome. So I was always kind of like drawn to those bands. And, and by the time we started playing San Diego, we came to play to Shea Cafe in 91. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we, that's how we got hooked up with the guys in, in Heroin and, and, um, and Sonny ended up becoming, you know, friends with them because they put, ended up putting out the Angel Hair record and, <clears throat> you know, uh, he got involved with VSS and GSL and it just kind of went from there. Oh man, Shake Cafe in the early nineties must have been the it was, shit. It was the best. I would have. Uh, oh my god! Like, <laughs> you, you haven't like showered in a couple oh, days, man. and you pull up to San Diego. You're like, fuck. Okay, priorities: go to the beach, get wet, go find a, a taco stand, uh-huh. get, get a huge burrito, and go play the Shake Cafe because you just start roaming around the campus. And if you hadn't taken a shower. He snuck into like where the swimming pool is where the gym was. Chlorine bath, baby. Yeah, you'd, you'd like all shower up and stuff. And you come back like, hey, I'm ready to play a show, Fresh. you know? Bro, that's a nap. How old were you when that happened? 22, 23. Fuck, bro. Imagine being 20s, early 20s, in the 90s, coming to uh, UCSD at the Shea Cafe, playing a fucking gig. Not from San Diego. Those are the... those. That's the only reason I wanted to go play anywhere. I wanted to go to San Francisco and play in Oakland and play in the Bay yeah. and do those things. Like I had no idea what it meant. I just by 
watching like uh, like little snippets of Operation Ivy videos or fucking like Green Day putting out things and reading. It's like, I want to play there. I want to play there. I want to go there. So fuck it. Let's rent a U-Haul. Let's get a truck. Let's drive up north. Bro, no showering is a legit thing because sometimes you you don't get a hotel to spend the night in a hotel. Never got a hotel. <laughs> you know, you just spend the night in the truck. You know, I remember driving up into the mountains of like Big Bear, going up to Redlands and it's cold as shit and there's nowhere to stay. We're like, fuck, I guess we're sleeping in the truck, you know? <sighs> Chicle, I feel like you missed out on an era there. I feel like we would have we would have been awesome in that era. <laughs> earlier, earlier times, yeah. You know, but see, you can't... Imagine doing that shit now in your 40s. No way. There's bands still doing it, bro? No, but I think like the era that you're talking about, because by the time, like our teenage years, I feel like we had already missed a lot of that action. That action is there. That that action was definitely there for bands who wanted to do it. You know, there, it, it, was, it, was, it was there. We did it for a little bit. It was fucking fun, bro. We're going to different places I've never would have gone. So I can only imagine, bro, like at the level at 22 in the early 90s, that would have been a fucking bucket list item. If I could go, if I can be some uh, Marty McFly shit, I would, I would yeah. turn back the dial for that. You well, know? that and seeing the bands at their prime, you Fuck know, that, and they were probably their before thing. their prime pre-peak, That's bro, true. pre-peaking, you're just watching shit kind of develop and be like, Oh wow. And then going back with the new set, I was like, these guys are going to be fucking huge. And it's going to be yeah. awesome to see what they turn into. And then, cause I remember going to watch a uh, blink. In, in the mid nineties, you know? And there was no 182 on the end of Blink when it was just Blink and it was a hole in the wall, um, little venue coffee shop called Soul Kitchen out in Al Cajon. And they would bring good shows and good venues. And I remember them being like on a makeshift stage, just playing their songs. And in between songs, the guitarist El Pinchy, Tom DeLong would get a, a two liter bottles of Mountain Dew and just pouring it on their head, you know? And I was like, fuck, these guys aren't, they suck. <laughs> but I can't, I can't leave. Like they're doing some shit. It's like, all right, this is entertaining. And then fast forward, bro. They're fucking, you know, like doing their thing on MTV and a yeah. bunch of like teeny bopper kids are out there wearing puka shell necklaces and their hair all fucking frosted tip <laughs> with, with Hurley shit and DC shoes. Like, Hey, what's my age again? It's just crazy to watch a band from the beginning and that's them. But imagine watching dead Kennedy. I'm sorry. Now, well, maybe dead Kennedy's, but imagine watching the descendants and bands of that ilk and era. Yeah. That would have blown my fucking mind. Dude. Yeah. Oh, tell me more about that. I'm enthralled. I'm in. I'm all the way sold, bro. I'm all the way. <laughs> no, uh, party foul. Chicle fucking it up. <laughs> Did it go off? Oh no, you good? So, um, yeah, I. You know, one of the one of the shows I promoted was, um, you know, bands like The Offspring and 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 Green Day. Mm. You know, when when they had a demo out. When both of those bands sent me their demos, you know, that sort of stuff. It's like, oh, this is cool. This is kind of poppy yeah. and catchy and stuff. And Was that the transition era? Like when you started seeing things from your era and then you started getting a little offspring and Green Day tapes? Like, all right. No. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think we had a good relationship with um, with kind of the Bay, the Bay Area bands and stuff because we had played, played up there. And so when I was promoting shows... Those people had my numbers, and so I would, I'd bring those bands to town, and you know, you give Green Day one hundred and twenty-five dollars or one hundred fifty dollars no in a way. bag of burgers, yeah, <laughs> just just to play. And you'd put them on with like a weird band like Iceburn from Salt Lake City, that was kind of more, you know, experimental. Experimental, rock. yeah, yeah. And it was just that's the way that's the way the shows were, right? And <laughs> next thing you know, they're they're huge. Huge, wow. yeah, because we we toured with this band called Monsula uh, from the Bay Area, and Bill, uh, the guy I was closest to in, in that band, 
on tour, he ended up becoming, I guess, Green Day's manager and, and uh, you know, sound person for our guitar tech, whatever for, you know, I think still till this. Till you, this if you hang around with bands long yeah, enough, man, yeah. you, you'll find a role with them. You know that every it's funny because the people who are huge, like the bigger bands, you know, like bands that have been around and survived decades and decades. The people that are around them aren't just some new kid that graduated with a degree from Full Sail University right. and pre- post-production and this. No, man, it's, it's people that have been on tour. It's people that have gone on tour and just fans and ultimately develop a relationship. And all of a sudden, hey, man, I need a guitar tech. What's up? Oh, yeah. Hey, man, you know what? My fucking finger, I sprained it. Do you mind coming in and jumping in a rhythm and playing? Yeah, I know all the songs. So it's like, that's that's something that I really enjoyed having, you know, and, 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 being a, and just kind of witnessing. So when you say that shit, man, oh, this might be even the funnest person I ever talked to. Doug. <laughs> no, that's a, that's the thing is you, you, if you were there and you're around, then you're kind of by default become a part of yeah. whatever's going on. And, you know, one part, one person falls away, you kind of step into that yeah. role. And that's just, I mean, I think that's Next the way man most, up. most things do. And you don't, you're not sending in a resume or, no. or whatever. <laughs> you're just like, okay, I'm the roadie now. You know these songs? Right. Yeah. Can you do this? Yeah. Fuck. You're in bro. Then when, when you're on the road, then you meet somebody else. Like we have this friend, Paul Drake, who, who's taken, you know, photographs of bands and stuff like that. And he, he was good at kind of milking the system. Uh, he, would, he would become roadies and managers for, for these small bands. Then all of a sudden, you know, he's a tour manager for At The Drive-In. He's a tour manager for Jimmy World. Hell yeah. That sort of stuff. And he's posting all these old pictures that he's that he took on his camera. That was his stock market. <laughs> that was his New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, he would I, invest in these small vans by putting in time, and ultimately something's going to come out of it. And I don't think he, he survived. I don't know if he ever like that was his. You know, if he ever made a killing off that, he could be printing up these pictures and, and selling them. I'm sure, mm. but I don't. I don't think he does that. I think he's just. Happy living in Australia with his, with his partner. Oh, so yeah. that was just, it was crazy. You Financially. Know? He was there. Yeah, fuck, that's yeah, worth it. Just there. Financially, how was it operating during this era? Starting a record label, being in a touring bad. Was it something that was self-sustainable? Could you make a, a nice living uh, off of it? I, you know, I ask you kind of like, I saw your badge for UPS. Mm. It's like, wait, you own this brewery, but yet you have a day job. Mm-hmm. That that was the same for me. I worked yeah. at I worked at Winchell's Donut House. Yeah, yeah. Started, yeah. started started a record label called Dale Don- Donuts after the show. Brought to you by Rob. <laughs> started Donut Crew Records. You remember that band Doggy Style? Yes. So they were they were uh, they were infamous for for throwing donuts at a show. And I who gave just, them the donuts? I gave them the donuts when I came <laughs> yeah. to Denver. That's ah, fucking awesome. So many people like injured themselves because they were s- slipping on like. They old greasy donuts. <laughs> <laughs> that is and donuts awesome. were flying everywhere. Somebody yeah, had just posted hilarious. something on on the on a Facebook group about that about that show. But uh, yeah, what was the question? Where Some of the shit you about? do for fun, not for the financial yeah. outcome, obviously. Because oh, at yeah, your yeah, age, yeah, yeah. when you're a youngster, you're not doing it like, oh, I wonder how this is going to affect my four hundred one k plan. I wonder if this is going to be able to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. You're just doing it because it's fucking awesome. Yeah, you had a good so, time. So it was, you know, it kind of like putting on shows. The next logical step is like, why not create a, a record label? Because mm. again, my interest goes back to Denver. Like I wanted to uh, document the bands in Denver. And so, as I said earlier, it was it was kind of getting kind of violent. And I felt like it was kind of negative with people turning into alcoholics and 
drug addicts and that sort of stuff. Then I started hanging out with these kids, these straight edge kids. And uh, I kind of latched on to them. And we we're, I was a couple years older than them and, and whatever. But they kind of like, uh, I don't know, saved me in, in, okay, cool. in yeah. a certain way of like, they, they gave me a, a different perspective. And so they were very positive and I kind of latched onto that. It's like, yeah, I, I think, you know, we're all into like the discord bands and, you know, doing stuff for community and, and that sort of stuff. And so as a result, um, I was talking with a couple of friends, like we should, I should start a record label. And they said like, yeah, we'll, we'll help you fold records and stuff like that. So, you know, we'd go in and make like, four track recordings or ghetto blaster recordings Hell and put yeah. them out in an album. Who the hell does that? That's totally ass backwards, but so punk rock, you know, and you go to the, I, that's how I learned to do a little bit of, of four color uh, during the summers. I went to this guy, his name was uh, Craig and Buddy and they had a print shop up the street from where I lived. And so I would go in and, and learn how to use the, the four color press and create DIY, and my man. Like that. Always. And yeah. That's how I, you know, kind of got into that i didn't think about necessarily that i was going to make money i just hoped to break even and i don't think i ever really broke even but i think i profited more in that i got to meet people mm -hmm. and know people and become something that was larger than me wealth comes in different forms yeah. man it's not always cash money you know it's no, connections it, 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 it's yeah, interactions it for me it was i would do it I still kind of do it in, in a lot of ways. I, I don't care. Money's n not ever the driving factor of, of whatever my art projects are. That's why I have a job. The right. Job, the yeah. job is for the money. My art. No longer Winchell's. No longer no, Winchell's. No longer all right, cool, Winchell's. all right. <laughs> Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. Move on. <laughs> you moved that. Damn. Dude, it was weird. Like when I was living in Atlanta, we had, the, had a neighbor and he goes, Whoever, who would have fucking thought that people would buy, a bunch of Yankees would buy like Southern donuts, like when, when Krispy Kreme went public. Mm -hmm. and it just it, it shot through the roof. You can get Krispy Kreme in Abu Dhabi. Damn. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's worldwide, baby, worldwide. They didn't sell out, they bought in. That's right. They, they did. They totally bought in. But I used to go to a Krispy Kreme in Alabama um, because they had this big sign that says hot donuts now and it would flash and people would stop. It was it's the it flash, was, bro. It's the fucking, yeah, I need to get a sign that flashes in beer, beer, beer. <laughs> it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, in a strip mall or anything like that. It was like a, a specifically built donut shop. That's what it was for. And, and it's cool because it has like an old sign that just looked and smelled gritty. Like you would, you would hope it would, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> you can't fuck up a donut. You can't. I've never had a bad donut. I've had donuts that I can like, oh, I'd rather have that one. But I've never had a fucking fat donut. It's like a pizza. You can't fuck up a pizza. Pizza is what it you is. You can. Oh, no. You can. Don't Eerie, ruin this Erie, one. Pennsylvania. Never oh. never get pizza in Erie, Pennsylvania. Home of the Oneaters? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that where the Wonders are from? <laughs> never I swear mind. to God. <laughs> one time we were on a road trip and we stopped because we wanted pizza. And they said, well, you get two toppings for $5. I said, okay. All right. Uh, we'll take, you know, pepperoni and extra cheese or something like that. The lady goes, you want some sauce with that? No manches. Like, oh. yeah. Okay, that's one item. Do you want cheese on your pizza? Yeah. Okay, two items. What? That was it. <laughs> then I swear, I swear to God, they took a loaf of Wonder Bread and smashed it and, and poured some sauce on it. And Where the fuck is this? 
through some in Erie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's where legitimately. Yeah. That, oh, yeah, we, we could, we, my friend my friend and I were like, what the fuck is this? Fuck, even in Tijuana, you can get a legit pizza, dong. Pizza. Pizza time. All right, cool. Places yeah. I'll never visit. Yeah, Lake you Erie. shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, don't do it. <laughs> Worst place you ever visited while on tour or in the scene? I I don't know. I have to I have to think about that. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. one of the coolest places. All right, we'll played. start there. I'm so negative. I always start with the worst. I was like, fuck. <laughs> In Arizona, we got our our bass player booked us on a reservation, so we pulled up to this pizza place <laughs> on the <laughs> reservation. Old tours based on pizza locations, yeah. bro. <laughs> and we're like, what the fuck? There's there's nobody that's coming to the show. This is this is. What the fuck, Brian? Why did you book us here at a you know, on the reservation at the pizza place? So a little bit later, as it got dark, all these families started showing up and they have the stage outside because I guess they have bands that, that roll through town, you know? Oh, wow. And so it's like, you know, Native American families just coming up. Then as we were sound checking, there's like a, a barbed wire fence off into the background and there's some guy yelling, hey! Sex pistols, play some sex pistols, lemon fucking heads. And I was That's like, awesome. <laughs> okay, cool. So we got paid, I think like 75 bucks. Uh -huh. Got like four pizzas and they, and the owners bought t-shirts and, and records. And they're like, well, we don't have a record player. We just want to support you guys. Uh, so, awesome. so stuff like that, 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 that I totally dig. I mean, to me, that's better than playing New York City or playing L.A. I mean, we played in L.A. at, um, I think, on that tour at the Hong Kong Cafe. And that was a cool show. With like, I think we played with Pop Propagandy. <sighs> still so, playing. Still yeah. going solid. Exactly. Connect and Canada's so, best. And so it was, it was a cool show and stuff, but that's not the show that, that I remember the most. The one I remember the most was on the, on the reservation and stuff. That, oh. that and our, uh, you know, I think our... Our guitar player, we had another guitar player. Actually, he was the original guitar player. And he got, he got rolled. But he was buying weird shit, too. He was buying, like, artificial limbs at the thrift store. What? To, like, carry him on tour and stuff. Like, who the fuck does that? <laughs> Your guitar player. That <laughs> he was case. sad because he had brought, he was the only one that brought money on the tour. He brought, like, $300. And by, like, the third day, we like, didn't have any money left. No. He didn't, he didn't have any money left. Then he got money wired to him in, in San Francisco. And it, as he was leaving Western Union, he got mugged. No. And ended up in a hospital. Oh, yeah. no. So. Damn. Where are your limbs now, bro? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good thing he had extra. Oh, man. They could have used that extra arm or something. Something, you know, some self-defense. <laughs> Swing a leg. <laughs> Touring in that era, how was it, man? How was it going from city to city? How was people receiving was you guys? Great. And like I think, weird I think, looks probably and... I think that during that time, like in the mid, I think that was about 95, uh -huh. I think 94, 95 was a great time to be, it was a, a rebirth of like more, more of a DIY kind of like politi politically correct punk that was kind of coming out. The transition. Yeah. And so everybody was all about community. So you never had to sleep in your van. You, you, somebody always had a, a floor for you to, for you to crash out on and. Uh, you sold your records pretty much like a dollar above cost and that sort of stuff because you're doing it for the scene and you would have like these kickball matches and just whatever, whatever town you pulled into, there was always something to be a part of, which was, to me, that was awesome. Um, I, I, I thought that was a lot better than, you know, the 
when I first went out on tour in 88 with the band, uh, which was kind of like that, but not to the extent where it was like, it was really like a lot of young kids and we used to call them turtles because they'd all wear backpacks. Backpacks. <laughs> hold their hands and that you know, was, cross that's their arms true. and they would just dance and they would be polite and they wouldn't be slam dancing or anything like that. So that was kind of like, kind of like the scene that was very, uh, I don't know, just kind of what, what you consider, I guess, Democrats today. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like people that were... Uh, Lending a helping hand. Yeah. Helping just, you up in the pit. You know, like exactly. go along your merry way. It's all good here. Yeah, like, oh, hey. We're not here to hurt you. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, we really want to support you. Don't put us on the guest list here. We're going to pay. We're going to pay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. I remember that era. Yeah. That was the era when I first started going to shows. Yeah. Like Fugazi and stuff. I think Fugazi kind of like, like Ian McKay and Fugazi Mm. kind of like created that, helped create that scene in a lot of ways. Everybody was vegan or vegetarian and, you know, just people were very socially conscious. I could never. During that time. I could never, bro. I see a lot of the the, the 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 punk rock ethos and a lot of it leans towards, you know, veganism and this and that. That's the one that I would always stick. I was like, hey, I can't, I'm, I love me. I love me some tacos and I love me some burritos. You know, I remember like in that early, eh, not early, 93 to 95, like you were saying that era, Bouncing Souls had come to San Diego for the oh, first yeah. time. You know, it's like, oh, fuck yeah. And I was all maniacal laughter was the first album I ever bought by them. And I was fucking into it. Hardcore. I was like, yes, I saw them that they were going to be at that side stage Soma, man. So the side stage, some is not even, not necessarily the main stage, you know, where fucking bands in that era, like shit, I don't know, I don't know, whatever band, Unwritten Law and stuff like that would always play the main stage because they were local and they would always draw a lot of people. But then I was like, how is fucking Bouncing Souls playing side stage? Fuck, let's get tickets. Boom, five dollars, five dollars. You saw Bouncing Souls, Mill and Colin, uh, Dogwood and MXPX on the same bill. I was like, cool, five dollars. I was a turtle. I roll in with my backpack and it was just yeah. there across on the side. There was like, I don't know, a, no more than a dozen people there. You know, and we're just hanging out and like, fuck, these guys are awesome. And we left walking back to our car and the singer is coming out for bouncing. So I was like, hey, man, where can I get some fucking pizza or whatever? You know, we're like, "Ah, I don't know. But there's a a Carl's Jr. up the street, jumped in the car with us, shot the shit. We went over there and then we just got to know him, you know, like that. I don't think those things exist anymore. Like that kind of like interaction, it just doesn't exist anymore. And, And even at that level, it's probably more subdued than what you've encountered on the road with all these other bands and Ian McKay and Fugazi just like kind of watching those guys develop. And so it means like, I've always had that special connection, like with a band, like Bouncing Souls, a band, like a big wig, like bands that come through San Diego. For some reason, San Diego was that destination spot. we got to play San Diego. San Diego is where we want to go and play. So people would come in always like, Hey guys, we're Bouncing Souls from Jersey and we're excited to be here. It's been a goal of ours to fucking be here. And like, I was like, why, bro? You guys are playing. <laughs> this is like in the worst part of San Diego, you know, like at the base of USD and there's nothing out here, but just warehouses and a fucking Carl's Jr. in a 7-Eleven. And I was like, that for me at the ripe old age of like 15 or whatever, I'm like, fuck, I live in a cool place. This is where people want to come. I got to go full force with this band thing. You know, people really want to <laughs> yeah. be here. So it's just weird. Now you get that. You did that shit. Yeah, but no you one, were about that shit. Nobody wanted to be from Denver. <laughs> I've been to Denver, bro. I don't blame them. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody in Denver went to go like, we're going to go, we're, you know, we're going to go move to LA or San Francisco yeah. or something like that. Head west. That was, that was where the, the action was all happening. But I don't know. I, I mean, sure. Yeah, that, that did happen. And, but I think, I don't know, maybe I'm just a homebody hmm? in that sort of way where I just kind of like things a little more local and and a little more uh, laid back even even in the in the onset yeah 
Definitely, definitely in the onset. I mean, it sucked that we weren't getting like a lot of the higher profile bands kind of running through mm-hmm. Denver un- until like, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s were coming along. But it was, it was kind of good enough for us. And I think all the bands that came through always enjoyed Denver, you know. I know DRI used to come through all the time. Husker Du used to come through all the time. Black Flag, you know. That's awesome. You know, multiple times. And so that was always kind of rad. Uh, just the whole like community uh, of it and just seeing the same people. Or you go hang out at Skyline Park, which was this park where the cops took away everyone's skateboard in downtown Denver. I mean, it was, it was that. That's, that's what the scene was. And to me, that's, that's the part I miss. Now, if you see somebody in a misfit shirt, you don't you ignore them. You don't you don't even go go up to them. But name five songs. Up, <laughs> yeah, growing up, you just you run up to them, and you know you had something in common. Back then, it must have been weird. Back then, it's like, oh, what the fuck is wearing a descendant shirt? What? Yeah, then you're then you're riddle me this, Milo. And then you're like hanging out. <laughs> yeah, all day with that. Person That's the connection. That's the connection right yeah. there. Hug. And so you don't you don't necessarily have. I think you have that in, in different ways right now. I don't think you know. I mean, I, I see some of that with my students. I teach middle school in, in Abu Dhabi, and you see maybe some kids that kind of look like Billie Eilish, you know, where they wear a bunch of rings and oversized clothes and kind of, you know, I don't know, the way she looks, right? Yeah. So I think those kids look at each other, and that's their connection. You're my friend. Yeah, you're yeah. my friend, you know, that sort of. And the same kid with, like, the Minecraft shirt. It'd be like, hey, that guy's into Minecraft. Me too. And Fortnite. Like- <laughs> so all of those things, all of those experiences, ultimately you reflected on them in Atlanta. And you said you were looking back and said, I need to compile all of this, all of these photos, throw my spin on it. How long did all that take before you actually got down pen to paper, drawing, just manifesting our audio recordings onto a, you know, a script and putting out this book? That seems like it took, it would take a long time. Funny, um, I think a lot of it was due to, uh, we moved to Ethiopia. <clears throat> we lived in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And there wasn't a lot of stuff to do after eight o'clock to kind of roll it up the sidewalks. And especially if it was rainy season, you really didn't want to go out. And so, and at the time my, my wife was pregnant with her first daughter, only daughter, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Jimena, if you're listening out there. Um, <laughs> now, I had, I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I had been thinking about this, and I was, the internet connection was really shitty out there. And so maybe you would be able to connect once or twice a day from the house, and you could see a little bit on Facebook what your friends are doing. And then you'd be like, shit, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm lame. FOMO, know? fear of missing yeah. out. <laughs> like, uh, you know... Chiclay is like putting, posting his drawings and, and my friend Chris Sherry, he's pressing, you know, putting his drawings with friend Rich Jacobs, Sonny K. All those guys are just like pushing their art. They're, they're going full speed ahead. And I'm, I'm, I'm like a limp dick, you know, just like, ah. <laughs> uh, just hanging I need, out. <laughs> I be, yeah, I need to be doing something. And so I'd go on these walks in the back of, of, of where we lived, which was like stepping back. 100, 200 years because people were still using donkeys uh, to, to push stuff up the mountains and stuff. What like took that. you to Ethiopia? Teaching. Teaching. Yeah. So we worked at an international school. Same thing that took us to Egypt. So we worked in Egypt for four years and 
decided to teach at an IB school. So we went to, to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And that was kind of, you know, that's a game changer for me, just like an, an my view of the world, much like Egypt was. And you get so, to take a step back and view it through a whole different scope. Yeah, man. yeah, totally. And so in Addis Ababa, I was just like, fuck, everyone else is doing something. So I started drawing and I started drawing from photographs that I've taken uh, of bands from Denver. And I was like, fuck, this is it. This is it. I there's, found it. I found it. There's, there's the artwork and there's... I just need to start interviewing because I had maybe written about 40, 50 pages of my, my story. And that's like, nobody wants to hear the Bob story, but everybody hey, wants. Fuck, yet here maybe, I am. May, <laughs> here I am. Maybe you do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> but I mean, nobody wants to hear the Bob, you know, 13 year old story in, in a lot of ways. You know, you can, you can read it. I want the one sheet of that and I'm done with it. But here's the thing. You got to realize that that Bob one sheet story or that Bob 13 year old story that's a lot of dudes. That's yeah. a, you know, there's a lot, the more, the, the older I've gotten, the more I realized there was a lot of guys like me who were into like, you know what, something different, not culturally accepted or not culturally like, oh, that's awesome, pedestaled. It's like, you're a Mexican dude with blue hair in a punk band doing, what, what the fuck are you doing? You know, and, but now that I look back, I'm like, oh shit, turns out there was a shit ton of us. We just yeah. didn't have that means to connect until we went to like a side stage show, a backyard party, a fucking slaughterhouse, and then started connecting. Right. So that's awesome. So I just started interviewing people uh, in Ethiopia, and then I started making more and more drawings. So you can say it's a 20-year project done in 18 months. Mm. So I did it about literally everything in a year and a half. But I That seems got, quick. But it, <laughs> it, it kind of festered in my head for, for that time. And that's the way... I don't know. I, I'm very obsessive. Uh, when I do like art, I just don't do like one or two pieces. I think you when, spew them all out. Like when I met when I met Chicle at um, the, the Latino Film Festival, I think I was showing my CD art yeah. at the time. The AOL, yeah, the AOL CDs where I just would paint over them and make these kind of crude drawings on them. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I just didn't do like you know maybe like fifteen or twenty. I did like. Almost 300 of those. It was a whole wall display. Yeah. So uh, it, everything is like that for me. Like it's I shoot some pictures over. Like uh, when, I was, when I was in Abu Dhabi um, in May, um, I went on a bike ride. And I said, I got to do something with, with, with my, my kalakas, you know, because I, I create these little calavera figures. Um, and I said, thought to myself, what, what can I be doing with them? Then I had this vision of like, I need to make some, some tarot cards of those dudes. And so in about four weeks, I made 78 drawings. Jesus Christ, man. Of, you know, like brush and ink drawings, just like cranking like four or five out a day. And now I just sent it off yesterday and started my Kickstarter today. Okay, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's already 30% funded. Hell, like, nice. like, and you just did it yesterday? I just started this morning. <laughs> this morning? Yeah. All right, cool. We're going to get that link and see if we yeah, can get yeah. help in anyway, man. Hell yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty wild. So that's, I don't know. That's, you were pumping out 20 cards a week, man. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, fucking crazy. <laughs> that's so nuts. All of them going to be in the set? All 78 drawings. Yeah, that's how big Damn. a tarot card set is. Oh, man. So that's the recent project. That's yeah. what you've had. Oh, man. Yeah, so it's just like, you know, don't do anything for a long time, then all of a sudden... Purge, bam, purge, purge, purge. <laughs> but it, it's the pandemic has been very generous to me um, in terms of time. I've done a lot of 
I had a lot of opportunities to create a lot of drawings and paintings. And I also had a, as part of a group show in Abu Dhabi too, at the Etihad Modern Art Gallery, if you're listening out there. I, I saw on your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it's, it's been, been great. To, I feel like I'm kind of like in a little bit of a renaissance in creating art and kind of feel inspired. And it's always very inspiring to come back and, and hang out with, with friends because they're doing stuff and, yeah, Chico doesn't and, stop. And if everybody does something, then you, if you're not doing something and everybody else is, then you kind of, you know, feel like a loser and you want to bow out. But if you see somebody else and it kind of like inspires you to, to keep going. That's the best form of motivation. Yeah. Because I mean, Chico motivates me. The people, my, my crew that I surround myself with, they all motivate me not to be better than them. You know, it's just like, no. fuck, I want to better myself. Like, what can I do to just kind of keep my path going? And I feel like they're my little influencers that say, boom, go. I'm like, okay, he, I, he's got kids. He's got a job. He's running businesses and he's still finding time to create and do things like, why can't I? So, all right, cool. And I use these guys and I tap into them and I'm like, hey, I want to do this. How do we do that? Blah, blah, blah. I like these kinds of people that I hang out with right now. Well, we're all makers and doers. And so we have ideas and we don't stop until we, we get those Reach ideas the goal, for sure. cranked out, you know? And that's, when you're around people like that, then there's, you can always feel that positive energy and, and vibe. And it, like you were saying, you're not in competition with nope. anyone. That's the wrong mentality. Yeah. <laughs> you're already off the what, wrong what start if that's the case. Yeah. You're, you're just inspired by what's around you and you want to contribute just like they're contributing. I don't, I don't watch TV. I, I have no need for it. I, I did watch the Selena series on Netflix. So. What'd you think? But I, I liked it. Season one and two? I only watched I, season I watch, one. I watched season one and two because, you know, at, at 10 at night after you're done drawing or teaching all day and, you know, you're, you're laying down with the wife and, and she's like, let's watch some Selena. Hell yeah. I, like, oh, I don't know about that. Then I, I got suckered, sucked into it. They got a way of doing that. I didn't that. get sucked into the Luis Miguel show, but I, I saw <laughs> It looks at me every weekend that I'm scrolling on Netflix. I'm like, oh, I can't get not rid of it. Not today. I feel like Pee Wee Herman in the, in, in, in the little, uh, the dog house or the, uh, the little pet shop when he's running in, it's on fire. And I keep walking by the snakes. It's like, no, not yet. No, not yet. I feel eventually, man, I'm going to have to fucking grab these snakes and run out of the pet shop with them. That's my Luis Miguel. I don't know if I can do that yet. Though. <laughs> Everything but that Luis Miguel, man. Your best friend glasses is all about, hey, bro, you got to watch the Luis Miguel one. It's like, nah, buddy. I even went to go see him once. I was, uh, no way. I was, I was taken to, uh, Anna, Anna made me go. Well, she didn't make me go, but I was, I was curious. Uh huh. She took me to see Depeche Mode and I liked Depeche mm -hmm. Mode as a, as a result. I, you know, I didn't really necessarily listen to them growing up. They were definitely around and I know their songs, but to actually see them and, and enjoy the concert with her, that was, to me, that was delightful. Um, that didn't happen to me when she took me to Radiohead. I think Radiohead is, is just okay. I'm ah, I see what you did that. I, you know, <laughs> I'm glad they exist. Um, they serve a purpose. They, they, they definitely serve a purpose. And I was supposed to watch a Jimmy Buffett concert at... <laughs> At the, what the hell's in the place? Uh, Bally Up. Okay. Oh, hey, you know what? That's a, that's a legit venue in San Diego. Yeah, I enjoy is. watching venues or gigs there at the Belly Up. It's a little far from where we're at. It's up in yeah. Solana Beach, but it's fucking well worth the drive, man. Just the sound, great, the acoustic, sound and it's there, just yeah. like, ah, you're on top of the stage yeah. with the bands. Who'd you go see there? I was going to go see Jimmy. Well, I wasn't going to go see Jimmy him, Buffett. But, but I paid to 
paid per view uh, to watch his concert. Oh. Which one's Jimmy Buffett? Is that the Margaritaville? That's a Margaritaville. Okay, okay. The, the, the dudes that wear the hamburger hats or what is it? Yeah, parrot heads. Parrot heads, perdón. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, you know, but Me either. Thing- I mean, everybody has their guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah. And for some it. reason, I, you know. Wait, that is your band. Yeah, y- y- Yacht Rock is a. Uh, Dude, I love Yacht Rock on the yeah. fucking. I don't tell anybody, but I enjoy I Yacht know, Rock. There's, there's, there's a couple of stations on Spotify called the Yacht Rock stations, bro. <laughs> Fuck around if I don't put that shit on. I'm just listening to it while I'm at UPS. It's like, am I all right? Cool. Turn it off. Hey, what are you listening to? I don't it, know. It is. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's, it's better than. Maybe go, not for go ahead, say better it. Better than smoking smoking a joint. Oh, I thought you were going to drop like a name of a band. Smoking a joint? What? No, I mean it's just like to me, it just mellows me out. Hell yeah, it's, mm. it's background music. Does music, that. and you know, it's something. Those were the bands that I that I heard growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't listen to them. I was more like you were forced to listen to that stuff. Damn, Fleet a guilty and stuff. That's what I was gonna be, guilty pleasure bands, man. I, I feel like the Antwerp, some band from uh, South Africa. If you get a chance, listen to them, man. I don't know why I like them. And now my kids like them. There's a song called Banana Brains. And it just goes, like, if they're, like, in a foul little mood and we're driving somewhere, I'll just go on my phone, put that on. And then I just look in the rearview mirror and I just slowly start seeing them, like, bob their head. And then they just start getting hype. I'm like, all right, cool. That's what that music does to me. Like, it, it gets me hype. Nobody else is going to like it, bro. Dion Ward is fucking weird. Dion Ward is, it, it's some weird-ass music. It's like... I don't even know how to classify it. And it's better left unclassified. It's just a style of music that I'll listen to. And I listen to it before soccer matches, bro. So there's guilty pleasures everywhere. Fleetwood Mac, they're more mainstream. And I feel like you're supposed to like them. You know, I feel like, oh, you know, we made music that you need to love. I'm like, all right, fuck. All right, cool, dude. No big deal. What do you like, bro? I know you're not saying much today, Chicle. I don't have any bands like that, though. I don't know. Los Bookies. No. <laughs> Menudo. Menudo. Damn, bro. You are a. Uh, my, my sister was into them. So I'm I knew sure. by default I used to sing one of their songs, but. Backstreet oh, Boys from a different era and a different culture, uh, bro. Same shit. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's the same. original. Yeah, the OGs. I'm sure there was other ones before that. Uh, what was before that? Uh, new Edition. I remember growing up and, and the New Edition. That was, was after. That was Menudo, after? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. So, I mean. I don't think Manolo was the first boy band, but I think they were the first to be as big as they were. What was your first punk band that you listened to? Oof. Um, probably, I mean, probably Sex Pistols or The Clash, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And then from there, it was bands in Tijuana. Mm. All right, I so you got Sex know. Pistols for you. Yeah. You got Black Flag over here. And for me, it was, you know what? Dead Kennedys, Too Drunk to mm. Fuck, Jello, and I was just, it blew my mind. I don't even know how I came across it. You know, I know my cousins, because, you know, cousins are your first real best friends. Like, they, they're the ones that introduce you all the good shit, all the bad shit, all the stuff that you're going to get in trouble with. They introduced me into, like, into, like, into hip-hop and shit like that. I don't know how I came across uh, Dead Kennedys, but I think it was in middle school in, like, early 90s. And then somebody's like, oh, dude, this is fucking awesome. Pop, 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 listen to this. And I started like a little jackass on a skateboard. Like, all right. And I listened to it. I was like, too drunk to fuck? Like, what is this? I was like, okay, I'm in. And I felt nasty listening to it. I was like, oh, yeah. It's, it's rebellious. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what the fuck am I feeling right now? I'm feeling like I want to punch something. I was like, ah. And yeah, I just, you know, back then there was no internet to scour. There was no, well, let me see. Let me, it's Wikipedia, Dead Kennedys. Oh, 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 influences this. No, bro, if you really liked a band, you had to put in the work mm-hmm. to find out. What else do they do? Where do they play? You know? So then I, that's kind of where I saw somebody in like a Dead Kennedy shirt. It's like, oh, the, the, the original, like the DK you saw. And it's like, oh, that's my friend. 
hey man, what do you know about dead Kennedys? Oh, well, I like this, I like that. And then it slowly started becoming like that. And I surrounded myself with a bunch of little white dudes. That's all there was. I went to Benita. So it was a bunch of little white dudes that were a little like, like skater surfer punks. I was like, all right, cool. I guess I associate with you guys, you know? But then my cousins were like, no, bro, you got to listen to Mexican music too. And then there's some hip hop and reggae. So I threw all that shit in a blender. And that's how you get a 42 year old wearing Cheech and Chong socks with fucking Chuck <laughs> shoes and, you know, a three punk ale shirt. And I tell wife, he's like, hey man, if, if, if I had my way, I'd throw my kids in that same fucking blender and say, all right, boom, let's see what comes out. Cause it's like making beer. Beer is four ingredients, bro. Beer is grain, water, yeast, and hops, you know? And if you give it to a hundred different brewers, you're going to get a hundred different styles of beer. So if I give these experiences that I've had and I put them in a blender and I put my kids in it, they're all going to come out fucking different. And that's for me now, like kind of sidetracking. That's what I enjoy about being a parent. It's like, well, I'm raising all my kids in the same way, but I can already see the personality traits like kind of like spiraling out. Oh, you're going to be into that. I can already see you're going to be into this. You're going to be into that. That's awesome, bro. I don't know if I want them to be hardcore punk rock like I was, like listening to that shit, because I don't know how they will react. When it'll probably be a different style. Yeah. No, yeah, well, it's like that. I don't know what's new, bro. We don't, I don't fucking listen to new music. I still listen to, bro, you have probably your genre that you listen to, you know, like that. that's my go to. And I spin it. I listen to 90s, like Fat Records, Epitaph, Vagrant, fucking yeah. all of that Kung Fu Records. That's the kind of era that I grew up, you know, and, and, and listening to uh, what's that drive through records, you know, that's what I listen to. So I still listen to that. And people are like, have you listened to the new fucking punk? I was like, nah, bro. I'm like, I don't even know what's out there. I don't even know what punk is now. You know, I barely knew what punk was then. I didn't even know what it was, you know? Yeah. So it's like, shit. I think we grew up in an era where like Bob's friend introducing him to like check these tapes out. Mm. You know, for me, it was older cousins. And then in high school, mm. friends that would tell me like, oh, you like Rented? Like check this Operation Ivy album out. And then from there, like sharing album CDs, you know, it's like a puzzle and people yeah. like would come into your life and give you a different puzzle piece and be like, Oh, it's like, all right, now I can see the figure. And then you got, Oh, and then you get another well, puzzle piece and slowly back. it just starts creating a whole mural of everything that you, you should be about. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I'm not even high and I'm handling these thoughts, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little yes. bit about now you have the book Denvoid. Where can we find it? Who can buy it? Is it available for purchase? I know there's a part two, what else is on your uh, on your project list of things to accomplish? <laughs> You're a busy guy, man. Try to stay busy. Um, so the first one came out in 2015. Then um, we we're actually on the, getting ready to go back. I was going back to to Egypt, and I'm just waiting in the in the concourse. And I started doing some typing and stuff. I was like, I, I don't want to do another a sequel book to it. Then I started making lists. You know, I have this three-hour delay. And the, my partner, the, the guy who um, laid out the, the book, Sonny, he, he, he was, his flight was also delayed, and we're in the same concourse. So we start meeting up. And so I just asked him, like, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling kind of sad because we had this awesome weekend. We released the book, and every, I'm flying back to Egypt, and everything kind of just feels like a letdown, you know? Uh, not that you have to go back to Egypt or something, but that you, you were kind of like riding this, this wave. You were such on a, a, a high of, of like awesomeness of reconnecting with old friends and stuff at the book release. I mean, we got several hundred people. It was an yeah. awesome party, you know, bands played, a couple bands played. And so it was, it was incredible. It was more than I, than I hoped for or could ask for. 
And so I was already scheming ways to like, how do I recreate Let's that? Let's do this again. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what we did. We, we, we hung out at the airport and I just started making lists with Sonny and maybe half a year later, I'm interviewing people again. And, I'm, and, I, and that whole time I, I had been drawing stuff of, of bands because there's a lot more pictures to draw from and, and that sort of thing. So the other book has more drawings and more interviews. So part two came out in 2019. So my band that's in San Diego went, to, went out there to play one of the openings. We had like maybe three nights of shows. Okay. And um, my band from here, Capron, we went out there and we played a couple of shows and the book, we had like four different book releases that weekend. It was crazy. And it was, it was awesome. Hell yeah. To, you know, to have afternoon shows, to have evening shows, have book releases. And so felt like we really kind of tapped into to a lot of the people that the first book release couldn't, couldn't handle in, in one space. And um, yeah, so that book and my most recent book, one of my patrons um, who used to buy my Dia, Dia de los Muertos uh, little block prints decided, contacted me uh, last summer. And she goes, I, I want to do a book of your, of your, art from, from the, you know, the early 2000s. I said, ah, I don't know about that. So in a couple of weeks, I went ahead and scanned everything just in case if I wanted to, to do it. <laughs> in case you changed your own mind. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so two weeks later, I had a manuscript to her. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Again, the obsessiveness of like, once you kind of got your, your mind thinking about this stuff and working on it. I just scanned all the stuff that I, that I had in a lot of the writings I did, poetry or stories, um, put it together and, and bam, there's, there's like this 200 page book of, of like little skeleton drawings. So that came out during the pandemic and unfortunately never got a lot of traction because uh, I was living in Abu Dhabi and we couldn't get out of the country. And the other reason was um, she does more of a record company and the, the whole book distribution thing that hasn't started yet. So I guess part of the plan this summer is to kind of, kind of get it going. There's actually a funny story in here, speaking of Blink-182. Oh, here we go. <laughs> the, original, the original drummer. Scott Rayner. Yeah. yeah. You know Scott? Scott, Scott Rayner. Scott yeah. So, <laughs> so Scott was playing in this band, uh, the attic, this no. couple called Sam and Mandy. They were okay. called Isinglass. Okay. Uh, this is after after Blink. No, it was not, no longer no a longer band. a band. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I tried out for for them, and he he didn't really thought I'd fit in as a bass player because I think he his idea was like he wanted to become. Uh, a, a bigger band or whatever, that sort of stuff. It was like, ah, whatever. So I didn't, I didn't make the cut for the band, but he wanted to get together with me and cause he surfed and stuff. And so we, we started hanging out and we, uh, he liked some of the stuff, I guess that I was playing on guitar. And so he we would go to, to Soma. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I think he was part owner of it or something. Oh really? Oh, cool. Or just had access to it. 
he had the keys. So we went in. Len and Jeremy. Yeah. And we had, there was a popcorn machine upstairs and I'd play guitar and he'd be taking his drumsticks and hitting the popcorn machine. And so he pulled out the four track recorder and we just recorded a couple, a couple of songs just of kind of more experimental stuff where it's kind of more hypnotic. And um, so we became friends and we were hanging out pretty often. We'd go down to Mexico and surf and stuff like that. And we'd have, we'd sit in the hotel room and, and have visions like, what about if we created like some UFO murals on the wall here of like a bunch of gingerbread people coming, coming down. <laughs> just like just crazy shit, stuff that didn't make any sense. Then at some point in time, he decided that he was going to move up to LA, him and his wife. And I said, oh man, that, that sucks. So he, he gave me like a drum set, a couple surfboards and just some leftover pesos that he had <laughs> that he didn't spend in Mexico and just, just, Gave me a, 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 four, a two track recorder, just all this crazy stuff. And it was like, oh my God, this is, why are you doing that? It's like, oh, I, uh, I just donated a bunch of stuff. So we were at the mission having breakfast. Mm -hmm. And he started talking out loud. Because, yeah, I, I donated so much stuff. I donated all my, my, my gold albums, my Blink 182 albums. It almost seemed uh, that he went through an era of purging everything. Yeah. And I said, oh, wait, wait. What do you mean you, you donated them? Yeah, I, yeah, I just, uh, I don't need them anymore. So I just put them in the donation box and left them at the thrift store. Oof, uh, Damn. I'm like, <laughs> so the whole time- There's a pot I, of gold at one of these thrift shops right now. <laughs> so the whole time I was like thinking like, what the fuck, Scott? Why, how come you didn't tell me? I would have bought them from you. It's like, why? So you can sell them for money? I said, dude, you're part of this like um, nonprofit that he had like, up with children or something okay. like that. It's like you could have sold that and give the money to your organization. He's like, oh shit, I didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you just gave away. And he's like- The drummer mentality. <laughs> so he got rid of all his Charles Bukowski books and he, and he got wow. rid of his Star Wars DVDs or- Was he just started a DVDs. new chapter or something? I, I guess. Then he started thinking and he's like, God, uh, I- I wonder if they still have those. I kind of miss those DVDs. I, I kind of regret getting rid of those. <laughs> like, what? So, dude, finish up your breakfast. and we got, Let's go. We got my truck. We drove back to the thrift store. And I, and I went up to the person like it was my fucking record. And I'm like, I accidentally donated a gold album, blah, blah, yesterday. And he comes up behind me. I, yeah, he didn't accidentally donated anything. I donated them. And, I, you know, that's the way it is. So Rainer set, stepped up and said uh, that? Yeah. <laughs> And he goes, by the way, do you have uh, my, my Star Wars? Uh, <laughs> he said, fuck the record. I want my DVDs though. <laughs> I want my Star Wars trilogy back. I remember having um, the post Blink Scott Rayner. Uh, I don't even know what it was. Maybe a demo. It was like a black and white demo when he was in the front. What was the name of the band? I don't. Yeah. I, don't I, I remember they put something down. And I was like, oh shit, that is Scott Rayner, you know? And I don't remember what the split was, but I remember he was always there at all the shows and everywhere. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And it was like, it's like, oh shit, what happened? And then you get lost into like, cause it was, I remember Travis Barker from Aquabats, you know? I remember when Travis Barker was just killing it at, on, at the Aquabat shows and, and he's just back there just, and it was, it sounded amazing. I was like, oh wow, this is cool. And then when I heard oh, Travis Barker's now going to be on Blink-182, I was like, oh shit, this is going to be awesome. Their first show, it was at Soma when uh, they came in and they, they kind of played a majority of the Cheshire Cat 
and they were working on releasing like, oh, this is a new song. It's going to be off our new album. And it was like all the shit off of Dude Ranch, like uh, Josie and Shampoo. And I was just listening to it. I was like, God damn, this guy rips on the drums. And it was like, these guys are going to be fucking huge. Because at that moment, it just felt like everything just, it gelled together. They had the look, they had everything. But I grew up listening to Scott Rayner. You know, I grew up listening to Touchdown Boy and all that stuff on, on like the original, the Cheshire Cat album. And it was like, it was kind of like, oh, I, that, it sounds lame and weird. For me, it was like, oh, this is a bad side of being in a band. You know, like from one day to the next, shit can just go sideways and you're no longer in the band. Like you're no longer wanted in this group, but yeah. we found somebody else. And I, I don't know. It was, for me, it was like a turning point. Like I, I looking at my band and looking at the, the people that I was surrounding myself with, it was like, there's ulterior motives. There's another goal. It's not just to fucking play and have a good time. There's like other things that are pushing these guys and make these decisions. So I was always bummed from that when you said, if I knew Scott Rayner, I just knew the circles that everyone ran in. And I was like, oh, cool. That sucks. And then I would see him and hear about him. And people would just like start saying things. And I was like, that's not probably, that's not what happened. Like, that's not what he's about. So it's just weird. Rant, rant done. Proceed, Chiclet. Tell me something about Blink. Nothing. Yeah, I didn't really know that <laughs> until it was Blink-182. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I didn't grow up, I grew up listening to rap, Yeah, you know, all the West Coast stuff that was coming out in the early 90s. And then it wasn't until I visited a cousin. Well, I went with my dad to Guadalajara when I was in middle school and uh, an older cousin started playing like Pink Floyd, The Clash, Sex Pistols, like Led Zeppelin. I never heard these bands, you know, grew up on Norteña, Hell. Norteño music, Yo. rancheras, Go ahead. oldies, and then... The, the hip hop or rap, whatever was on the radio, you know? And then after I got that introduction, started going to shows in Tijuana, you know, Tijuana where, where would you go? Or, yeah, Tijuana, but where would you go to watch the shows? What was the venues? Ah, uh, Mexitlan okay. was one. That was cool. Um, the Auditorio. The Auditorio, okay. You know, every year for the Fiestas Patrias, they'd have the, the stages there. And those were kind of it, you know? My experience with TJ Punk bands was when they opened when... Some of these like uh, new school punk bands would go down and play. Like Pennywise would go down to mm -hmm. Tijuas and play at Crowns. And I remember I was like at 17, bars, 18 yeah. and Guttermouth. I remember being at the, on a Guttermouth show and uh, Binchy, what's his name? Mark Mercury Atkins would be on there and somebody spit on him, bro. <laughs> somebody like, okay, you know, I mean, that, that was, that was, they were gutter punk kind of. And that, that was a kind of like image he portrayed. Like Ugh. he pulled out his dick and started peeing on the crowd and he got his ass beat, bro. I was like, holy shit. Damn. Like this is next level. I was, you know, I was like, I was into punk, but I was like, God damn, this is like some GG, you know, like this is some next level shit right here, man. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to start slinging shit at this guy, bro. And my experience with like TJ punk bands was like, yeah, when I was like 18 and would go down there and watch Blink play at Mr. Crown's gutter mouth. Fucking, I think, uh, yeah, like, uh, I remember, I hate the song, bro, him, but I remember watching them play bro, him and everybody in Tijuana just going crazy. I was like, ah, yeah. Oh man. Fuck. See, see what Bob did. Yeah. Bob, Bob unlocks like a fucking little a little door in my head that I, I don't open very often. <laughs> he, he unlocked it and now all these memories are just kind of fucking flooding through the yeah. forefront, bro. Oh, I got to buy those books. I got to order. Yeah. Anything we can do to promote and, and your Kickstarter and, and push it, man, let us know. Like We're on board. We're all in. Well, you can get the books on bigcartel.com. Um, Bob Rob Art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. B-O-B-R-O-B-A-R-T. So you are in Abu Dhabi now. I am. What is there a punk scene over there? Is there something akin to that over there that similarly relates or, or kind of emulates what you had down here? And are you trying to plant a seat to make that happen? I'm trying. Uh. Trying to do something. Actually, um, 
bought a guitar amp from from a teacher who was leaving back to Canada. And so I got myself a little Marshall and I had my guitar out there and I jammed with a couple of people. I didn't think they were into it, but uh, there was there was a senior last year before the pandemic. Her and uh, she played the drums and a couple of the other she had a couple other boys in the band and they were kind of like doing some kind of like a couple of punk cover kind of songs. Oh, and stuff yeah. Like that. So that, that was cool. I did have a skate punk band in, uh, in Egypt for about like four or five months when I was there. I was like, <laughs> shit, I was there for eight years. And only four or five months. <laughs> yeah. How was that? What's the reception? What do people think of when you're out there playing skater punk style music in, in Egypt? Well, it was mostly covers. The band was called Nar- Narjar and it's, it was only like a bass player and a drummer for like the longest time. And, you know, they, they worked at a skate shop. The only skate shop in Egypt. Narjar, fuck yeah. Skate <laughs> Impact, Narjar, yeah. And they're just, they're kind of like gnarly dudes and they're, they're rad. And they just have so much energy, uh, really into the songs and stuff. And the bass player sang most of the songs, but we had like some guest singers, like these girls that would, uh, one of them was my student. I told her, it's like, oh, you need, you need to be a punk and you need to sing in a punk band. And she was like, I, I can't sing, Mr. Bob. Shut up. Yeah, you can. <laughs> Imagine having Mr. Bob as a teacher, bro, at yeah. fucking 16, bro. <laughs> That'd be awesome. So I told her, I like, yeah, this is, you know, you're going to get a grade for this. <laughs> nice. A plus. Even <laughs> oh, man. So being in Abu Dhabi during the pandemic, um, how was is, how is the scene then? Not necessarily just the music scene, just like day-to-day living. It, it sucked. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're kind of like Abu Dhabi's an island, basically. It's a big island. It's an island, millions of skyscrapers and stuff like that. But the hard, the, the lockdown, lockdowns were really harsh. So, like a teacher friend got a got a ticket for a thousand, close to a thousand dollars because she was walking and drinking coffee at the same time because she, you know, she had her mask off when she mm. was walking. Everything is closed caption, like not closed caption, closed circuit TV. And so I I got, you know, you get everything by a text message. So I'm like driving. I'm going, oh, fuck, what is this text? You know, you're at the light looking. What? I'm wearing my seatbelt. What the fuck do you mean I'm not wearing my seatbelt? So I got like, you know, a hundred dollar fine. What? That happened? Yeah. What the fuck? Everything's like that. Like you're one kilometer over the speed limit. Your text shows up. Dang, that's no awesome. mom's way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's some Serious. Truman Show shit, man. Yeah, yeah. That's this is uh, you know, I would joke on Facebook and say like, this is what the world's coming to. This is like, mm. this is how it's a microcosm of what shit can actually turn into. Yeah. So, I, I think you're joking with the story uh, that I posted on on Instagram or something. I had my car at a car wash. So. Every year you have to go get your car basically smogged, Mm -hmm. but they do a little bit more than smogging there. And I I pulled up and the guy says like, nah, you know what you need to do? Go wash your car first. (laughs) Yeah. I read that and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Then come back. That's awesome. So I I did. I went to go wash my car and they had it lifted up and they sprayed underneath. And I was like, man, that's fucking dirty. They put it back down. They clean it. I go in there. And they do their inspection and 20 minutes later it comes out, uh, you failed. It's like, what do you mean I failed? Well, your tires need to be replaced, or three of your four tires need to be replaced because they're starting to bald a little bit. 
and your um, your shock absorbers in the front are 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 done, so you need to replace those. Okay, I get it. Safety, right? Yeah. And uh, the color of your hood does not match the rest of the car. Yikes. Like, what do you mean the color of my? They're, they're both. Yeah, but it's a little faded here. So you need to <laughs> you need either get a polish or get it repainted. So I took it to to some some dudes, and they kind of looked at it and said, "Like, yeah, it needs you need to have your your hood." It's a whole fucking racket over there, bro. It is. So they they painted, and ever since then. And then I, when we drive, we're looking at cars. That car wouldn't pass. That car wouldn't pass. <laughs> so we're just like, what the fuck? How come they're driving? <laughs> Look at those they got, tags. They, they got, got the new tags. <laughs> they got a dent in their car. How's that oh, legal? So how, what is the basis on that? I know you touched on safety, but having a mis- I don't know. Aesthetics, I guess. Because, images you know, everything. And images there. everything. Because mm-hmm. people, because the sun, what it does is it like fades, like maybe the, 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 the top of the car. Uh-huh. And people talk about their car not passing because the top of their car is faded. So it has to match the color, but, but nobody looks at the fucking top of the car. Like someone's looking, maybe you're, maybe you have your drones up there. Yeah. Right? Someone's looking. Yeah. yeah. So it's not an isolated event. Like this is everyone this, goes, this is part every, for the course. This is everybody does this. Everybody has to go through. Like, I think we always have the, we have a email thing called teacher talk. So the teacher sent out an email. It was like, oh, my car didn't get passed because it needs uh, the color. Who do you know to, to paint cars? So mm. everybody like shares that information and that sort of stuff. But yeah, it, it's crazy. Like you, you have to stop for red lights when you're riding a bicycle. Okay. Bicyclists told us like, dude, I can't believe you went through that red light. It's like, there's nobody riding. Punk rock, punk rock. <laughs> you just like <laughs> I you know, flipped them off and spit, spit on them. <laughs> oh, Fuck you, bitch. I do what I want. <laughs> man, then you lied to me. I said, how is it over there? Oh, everything's normal. Yeah, you didn't tell me to get texts for having your shoes untied. <laughs> Jesus Christ, bro. Damn, so that's a real thing. And so somebody is obviously in a little room observing everything that everyone does in their car. Oh, you're going too, spa- too fast. Oh, you know, you did a California rolling stop and they ticket you. So how from a text, it tells you you're going to get a fine. And then how do you... How do they hold you accountable for paying that fine? In a lot of ways. Um, they'll come and uh, basically boot your car Oof. or take away your car if you get black points. Black points is if you run red lights and stuff. They really don't have a tolerance for that. So you get black points or you get regular fines and you can't renew your car until all your fines are paid. So the reason why I had to get my car inspected was to renew, renew the registration on it. Right. And, and that affects your work visa too. Like mm. you can't, you can't Damn. work. Damn. shit's not, not paid up. <laughs> so they got you, man. They got you. Yeah. They fucking yeah. got you. See, I got a fine right now. That's a little over a thousand dollars, but I'm contesting that because I guess I should tell you too. I had to be, you know, the COVID test. How yeah. many COVID tests have you had? Uh, two. In the I, past year and a half? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I've had over like 50 or 60. Okay. Because in order to work where we work in Abu Dhabi, uh-huh. you have to have tested every 10 days. And if you decide to go someplace like Dubai, which is an hour and a half away, which is a different emirate, like a different state, then you have to have at least three tests to come back. Okay. One, one to go out, one to come back, and another one after like four days or eight days. Damn. So they're very... Uh, but then again, our numbers were- That was what I was going to say. Low. I mean, yeah. Yeah, your numbers are low. Um, while you guys were at lockdown, we're at movie theaters and walking in the park and 
that sort of stuff. But it still felt, it sucked because you felt like you could never leave there. Mm. One for work and two because, you know, your shoes were untied. What's the protocol now? You left and you're in San Diego. Well, we're a green country right now, the United States. So it's okay. So you can go back and don't have to quarantine. So that's, that's all that means. People can leave, but they have to, you know, depending what country they go to or what they travel to, they have to have some sort of quarantine. Do you foresee a time in your future where you and your family uproot and come back to the States or have you guys to... We, we think about it. Um, I don't know. I kind of had a... I hope nobody from my work is listening to this. They probably won't. They nobody listened. Nobody cares. Nobody what cares. No, nobody cares about Emo Brown not podcast. Until, <laughs> not until this one aired. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I had... Um, I, I had... Just, I was depressed, basically. And just like... Like, fuck, what am I going to do? I, I really hate living here because I can't do anything. And we're in the middle of this pandemic. And I don't know, it was a lot of factors. And so I, I applied for a job in San Diego, just out of the blue. I didn't get called back or anything for it. It was a very kind of a half-ass attempt. Attempt, yeah. It wasn't like I was, <laughs> I was really doing it. It, just, it was more cathartic than anything, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's like, I can't go out and scream because I'd, Get a ticket. I'm going to apply for jobs. <laughs> so I'm going to apply for all job. of these I'll jobs. Sh- I'll, sh- I'll show Abu Dhabi. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> no, but my school's awesome. And um, I we enjoy where we work. Um, city's not not my favorite, not my flavor. It is for a lot of people. If, if you're kind of like into the Kardashians and stuff like that, then maybe Abu Dhabi something that you like. If you're into image, if you're okay. into glitter and, and things looking very clean and well manicured wow. and then yeah that if you're kind of like into like tj style stuff like i am or just kind of more gritty gnarly like egypt in a way that's a complete contrast of everything you were telling us about this whole hour prior to this story right now and then you uprooted and go into a place where everything is more linear everything is more like this is cookie cutter it has to be like this that must have been a mind fuck to go out there then. It was, and it wasn't, and this isn't a diss on the school at all. We're actually glad that we, I mean, it was a blessing in disguise. We were, we were trying to get jobs and we were interviewed for a lot of places like Moscow and China and India. And there were really good schools we were, we were going after and I'd somehow managed to fuck up the interview. And, um, you know, they'd give me, like, kind of like what you and I were talking about, Yesterday, Chikle, like, you're kind of the owner of your domain as a teacher, unlike a public school and stuff. So the schools are really, international schools are really moving towards, I guess, the idea of standard-based. Mm-hmm. Are you guys standard-based? In a way. Yeah. So we're really hev- heavily into standards and stuff, and that's kind of like what determines grades a lot. And... That's never been, to me, it's always art is about experience, like the kids making art. It's about learning about themselves and having conversations with them about their art, not having to evaluate it based on certain standards. Mm -hmm. And to me, that kind of like, kind of like kills the passion Mm -hmm. for it in a lot of ways. Um, So I I wasn't well-versed in a lot of, I am now, by God, shit shoved down my throat. And, but... (laughs) But I, I wasn't, and that's the reason why I, th- I felt like we missed out on some of the jobs. And the art teacher 
who, whose job I replaced. Uh, actually, they hired somebody else, and that somehow didn't work out. And uh, so they were in a rush to look for somebody. We were thinking we were coming back to San Diego. This is like two years ago. And so we just, uh, they offered us a job. And, you know, met with the director and got along with her and her husband really well. And, and part of that working internationally is, is not so much as if you're qualified. It's like, how long do you get, how good of a team player are you? Mm-hmm. Just like you and your brewer, you know, you guys have to be. Same page. Yeah. Operating uh, on the uh, same wavelength. Yeah. And just kind of like get along. Yeah. If you guys hate each other, then. And in this program, in this school, I'm assuming it's teachers from all over the world. Yeah, we have a lot of Canadians teaching, even though it's, they call it an American school. Maybe you should call it North American school. But North American school. Yeah. But yeah, I'll, you know, when you, when you go into a school, there's always like one or two rock stars at a school, right? There's just like a couple of teachers that, that are awesome. Maybe at, you, you teach at high tech high, so you probably have like a lot of people that are rock stars. You know? Most of them. Yeah. And that's the way it is at my school. Like, everybody's a rock star and stuff. And so to sit in and listen to them teach, you know, a couple of times and stuff, then you get kind of like, well, you're talking about, you're inspired by, yeah. by what's, what's going around you. So not to be better than them, but to better yourself. Right. I got to up the ante on what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. So when everybody's kind of bringing their a game, then, you know, there's no other choice. You, yeah. you fucking got to bring your a game. Yeah. yeah. So for us, for my wife and I, that's, that's the environment we want to be. in. That's awesome. That makes man. us, better teachers. That is awesome. So, so maybe one day back to San Diego, maybe one day back to San Diego. We'll see. Mr. Bob, it was a pleasure to fucking sit down and get to talk to you yeah, and know you, likewise. man. This yeah. is awesome. Shit. I, I crept on your Instagram. I'm going to start following you on your all Instagram right. and I'm going to start doing all of the things there now. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be making sure that everybody is aware of what you have to offer on Big Cartel, what's going on with the new tarot cards, uh, the Kickstarter that's affiliated with it. People need to fucking look at your book, including myself, more deeply and take a deeper dive because I legitimately was skimming through it. And there was a few stories that caught my attention. I was like, yeah. So I just, I need to purchase that. I need to, I need to be involved with everything you're doing because man, I'm a fan now. Thank, Thank you for you. cruising through. Anytime you're in the hood, this brewery, everything we're about, it, make yourself at home. We're here for you, man. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anything from you, Chico? You're always fucking quiet when you bring a homie and it's like, you sit back with a smug little look and your leg cross like, <laughs> look at what I did. <laughs> nah, <just laughs> Thank like you, Chico. Yeah. You've done it again. Con the compita Ricardo Isas, El Dickey yeah, Islands. Yeah, yeah. And now Dickie with the homie Islands. Bob Rob, man. Thank you for, yeah. for broadening my scope and introducing new people into my life. I appreciate you for that. Gracias, Doc. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy, guys. Take you. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.